0: Sometimes, my children drive me crazy. Not just like a little crazy, oh, Brock's wild and crazy. This is like the kind of crazy that makes me, makes my mind want to explode. And at other times, especially my oldest two, they'll come up to me be like, hey, hey, dad, guess what? I have an idea. And I already know it's a bad idea. Like I know deep inside that this is a bad idea and I can't help but smile anyway because of their enthusiasm and excitement for this terrible idea. God doesn't have a terrible idea, okay? So we're not going there. But it's really less the idea that they have that makes me smile and more them. It's their character in that moment, their desire, their enthusiasm, their excitement that just rubs off on me in that moment, and I'm excited with them, and I don't even know what it is yet, but I'm excited because of them, not because of the cognitive intellectual idea of the event that's going to take place. It's them that makes me excited. That's what we see here. In Psalm 100, we see the character of God being on display, which causes the joyfulness and the thanksgiving that we see. I don't know what you know about Hebrew poetry. I don't know what you know about English poetry. English poetry is based off of Greek and Latin schemes and and style. So we get things like Dr. Seuss and he says, well, I don't like to brag and I don't like to boast, said Peter T. Hooper, but speaking of toast and speaking of kitchens and ketchup and cake and the kettles and stoves and the stuff people bake, well, I don't like to brag, but I'm telling you, Liz, that speaking of cooks, I'm the best that there is. And what you hear there is a rhythm, a meter. But along with a meter, we get this rhyming scheme that sort of just flows out of who we are and it feels very musical to us. It feels like like what we would do because we're used to it. Hebrew poetry doesn't work that way. And it's actually a great thing that it doesn't. Because if you took English poetry and tried to translate it into Japanese, it doesn't work not without changing the words to try to make it work, but it doesn't just naturally work. Hebrew poetry, contrasted to this, goes by thought has nothing to do with sounds, nothing to do with rhythms. It goes by thought. And it's an idea looked at sort of from this perspective. And then then it's looked at again from this perspective. And it's looked at again from this perspective. This is restated slightly differently, three, four, five different times, however many times it needs to be. And then when the author senses that he's done that enough, then he usually just starts all over and does it again in a second paragraph, second scheme. Oh, we've seen that already in some of the Psalms that we've looked at as they go through cycles, right? It's not just that they went through this cycle, but they go through a cycle and it's a poetic cycle. So they, they share what they've gone through, but they also show how it's in the poetry, how it's happened over and over and over, how it's happened this way and then how it's been this way and then how it's been this way. And when they come to this last one, they look at it again in those three different or four different perspectives, Here, we've got that exact thing going on. This is only five verses long. The first half goes through something that we do, and then the character of God. We're joyful because of the character of God. The second half says we're thankful because of the character of God. It's just repeating itself. And not that that makes it unimportant, The repetition makes it extremely important. They didn't have, we go to Walmart if we want to buy paper or wherever we go, and we buy reams of paper. Do you know how many pieces of paper come in a ream of paper? A thousand. We can go out and buy a stack of a thousand pieces of paper for like, I have no idea. Could be $6, could be $12, could be $20, could be $50. It could be $100 and it still wouldn't even compare to the cost of paper in Bible times. It could be $10 a sheet. And maybe then we would start to feel the same way they felt about their paper. When they went to write on stuff, they didn't have paper, they used different things. But when they went to write on things, They did not waste words. They didn't waste space. So when they repeat something, it's not done because they just wanted to write more words and fill out the whole page so it looked nice. It's because it was extremely important that we understand. That actually goes a little bit into just how valuable the Hebrews especially saw their scriptures. Uh, They would start to copy their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. And it's the only culture that has done anything like this. They would not copy a sentence by words. They would copy a sentence by letter. So if they were gonna say, the boy sat, they would say, they would look at this piece of paper, they would say, T, T. They would go to this piece of paper and say, T. Then they'd go, H, H, E, E. To guarantee that they had no mistakes. And if they had three mistakes in an entire scroll, like, say, all of Psalms or all of the book of Isaiah, they would throw it out. That's how many errors they were allowed in a book. And so they wasted the paper. Not because paper wasn't valuable, but because of just how valuable the scripture was to have right. That's a little bit of a side note, but that all comes back to this idea of repetition. If the psalmist is going to say something and then repeat it three times, and then go to the second verse and repeat it, and then go back and repeat the whole cycle again, it's extremely important that we understand what they're saying. So let's take a look at what the psalmist says we are to do and why. Psalm chapter 100. We've looked at a lot of psalms here recently. Most of them have a very heavy, heavy feel to them. Things are bad and seeming to go from bad to worse, but God is still God, right? And this one, we don't have that. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. Again, if you go to the Hebrew Bible, the, the Hebrew wording, the topic of, of this that says a psalm for giving thanks is part of verse one of the scriptures. So a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Typically that's used when people say sing even if you sing badly, which is good because God has gifted me in some ways, but I sing like Daffy Duck with his head in a tin can. It's not good, and I know that. But that's actually been a great benefit to my life. I didn't think it was for a long time. But it really has because in order for me to choose to sing with you all around me, A, my microphone is always off unless I'm standing up here speaking. B, I have to choose that I care more about singing to God than what it sounds like to you. Because it doesn't sound good. Sometimes maybe I can hit notes, sort of. It still doesn't sound good. Sometimes I can't hit notes and I know it, and it sounds bad. But God didn't ask me to sing perfectly. He asked me to make a joyful noise. But it's really not even just about that right? If if the psalmist wanted to say, wanted to say, make a joyful, bad singing sound to the Lord, he could have said, make a joyful, bad singing sound to the Lord, but he didn't. He said, make a joyful noise to the Lord, encompassing a much greater idea than just our singing. What other noises are there? If you've got kids, you know what they are. Would you do this? (sighs) What was that? I didn't say anything. I know you didn't, but that sound communicated something. Uh, we also hit things, do things. I don't mean like punch things, but we, we do things. You, we're, we make noise all the time. We make noise with, with everything we do, virtually. We're to make a joyful noise to the Lord, not just in our singing, but in the words that come out of our mouth, not just in the words that come out of our mouth, in the way that those words come out of our mouth, in the timing of those words coming out of our mouth. And if they're not making a joyful noise to the Lord, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Don't do it. You can make a joyful noise to the Lord and still correct somebody. Don't mishear that. But if what is going to come out of your mouth or what you're about to do is not specifically making a joyful noise to the Lord, do not do it. Because your motive is likely wrong. And then your action's going to be wrong. And now you're in the wrong spot altogether. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Who? All the earth. Jesus says in the triumphal entry that if the people don't praise him, the rocks are gonna praise him because it's not just make a joyful noise to the earth, all the people, though that's what it's implying. Don't get me wrong. But this is the whole earth is being joyful to the Lord, giving thanks to him because he is just that incredible. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. And if we understand the first line, that we are too, and everything we do, and all the noise that we make, and all the things that we're doing make a joyful noise to the Lord, then the second line makes way more sense. Now serve him with gladness. So the the wording idea goes from joyful to glad, right? We're gonna go from glad to singing, which is an odd transition, but it's there. Serve the Lord with gladness. Romans chapter one, verse one. You could also look at James chapter one verse one, Second Peter one one, Philippians one one, Titus one one, or Jude one, which is also Jude one one, and they'll say the same things. Romans chapter one verse one, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a doulos. That's the Greek word a servant, not just a servant, a slave, not just a slave, a willing slave, but a slave who still possesses nothing on his own. So when the psalmist says to serve the Lord with gladness, he's not just saying, "Eh, when when it's convenient and it feels good, do what the Lord would like. No, we're really saying be God's slave doing particularly what he says. Possessing nothing on your own. But being possessed by him, make a joyful noise as you serve him. Serving him is tough. And it's tough not because the idea is complicated. Serving the Lord with gladness is hard because sometimes we just don't want to be glad. Sometimes we don't want to serve him. Sometimes we just want to do what we want to do. We're wrong in that. But it's very difficult for us broken people to live in such a way that that's the constant in our life is to serve him, be his slave, be his bondservant, recognizing that everything that we have in life is not ours, which includes your wife or husband, your kids, your parents, your home, your cars, your jobs, your money, your energy, your motives, your desires. Everything you have is not yours. In fact, nothing you have is yours. It's all God's. For we are bondservants of Jesus with no possessions of our own. It's actually illegal for a bondservant to have a possession. So we serve the Lord with gladness. Why? Why? we're not there yet. Now we come into his presence with singing. And like I said, that's an odd transition because we've gone from joyful to glad to singing, which doesn't feel like the same thing. So why would the psalmist make this transition? First of all, he's writing a song. So it makes sense that he would use singing as his example of what it means to be joyful and to give thanks, or to serve with gladness, rather. Sing, then, a song of thanks to the Lord. When? A lot of psalms, uh, Miles preached on Psalm chapter 51 a couple weeks ago, and Psalm 51 says a psalm of David after Nathan had confronted him after he had gone into Bathsheba. What context is given to this one? Remember we said that line is part of the scripture. It's to tell us what was going on. And David wrote it down. So what is the context of this psalm? As we're to come to him with thankful singing, enter his courts with singing. What is the context given in the passage? If you look at it and you say, I'm not sure, you're right. Because there's no context given. There's no context. Be joyful and glad and sing to the Lord when these things are going on. It just says, here's how you give thanks. So we sing songs of thanks to him. We let our hearts be bent toward him through that music. God designed music so that it would touch us in a different way than just regular wording would. Poetry more so than regular commentary, Songs more so than poetry. They touch us in in just a different, deeper sort of way. So we serve the Lord with gladness. We come into his presence with singing. Why? Know, he says in verse three, know that the Lord, he is God. Okay, this isn't just happenstance or or thought projects. This is, why would we do all of this? Because the Lord, he is God. Canonically, just before Psalms comes the book of Job. And in the book of Job, we have a guy whose life went great and then fell apart. And after it falls apart, he ends up saying to God, I had heard about you. But now, now I see you and know you because you are God. And that's all the answer he really needs. It's a different conversation for a different time about how the book of Job goes through troubles. But his ultimate conclusion is now I recognize that you are God. So I'll shut my mouth because there's nothing more to say. The Lord, he is God. So regardless of my circumstances, regardless of your circumstances in this moment, God is God. So why should we come before him with thanks? Because he's God. Why should we be joyful before him? Because he's God. Why do we sing to him? Because he's God. But he doesn't leave us there. The Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 says this, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God made us. We're his. Go back to Psalm 23, verses one and two. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's our shepherd, implying that we're his sheep. He brings us to pastures that feed us well and right, though not always without danger. And when we're in danger, he's there with us, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet, yet we are still his. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come to his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. First John chapter three, verse one. Now we're gonna look at a New Testament idea in this. And he says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Who is the we? It's us. It's a letter written to people who have put their faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus and only in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are his children. And we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So there's gonna be times in this where you know you're God's child and yet you feel alienated from the world, good. I mean, I don't mean good because it feels that way. That's not a feeling you ever really want to have, but good because you are alienated from the world. You're supposed to be alienated from the world. Why? Because the world rejected Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, how can it accept us? That does not give us license to run around like a jerk. Right? Right? We are to be loving and kind and gospel-oriented all the time. And for those reasons, we will be alienated from the world because we are God's children. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. That's a tough verse. It really is. When we step back and really look at it, that is a tough verse. How are we to enter his gates and what exactly are his gates? We could, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but it's obviously imagery, right? But it could also be literal imagery, Right? We can have imagery where we're just talking about sort of ideas in the sky, but we could also have imagery where we're saying, here's sort of the gate. They would have had gates there to enter the synagogue or to enter the temple. It wasn't the temple yet, but they were getting there. They would have had gates to get there. So when you enter this gate, you're entering with thanksgiving. That would be akin to entering the church. Now, that doesn't mean when you walk into the church, you you go from dejected and and having a terrible time to fake smile and acting like you're fine. That's not what it means. Because he doesn't say that life is gonna go well, and we've read other Psalms and studied other Psalms where life was going particularly poorly, but God's character didn't change. So now we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise, We give thanks to him and we bless his name. Now, I've had people talk to me about this. We're gonna sing a song in a few moments where we say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And people are like, we can't bless God. He's too big. He doesn't need our blessing. You're right, he is too big. You're right, he does not need our blessing. But to bless somebody sometimes just means to acknowledge their reality, to acknowledge the excellence of who they are. We're not blessing the Lord in the sense that we're making him stronger. We're making him better. We're we're proclaiming a blessing on him so that he becomes more powerful. He can't become more powerful. We certainly could never do that to him. But we can extol the virtues of who God is. Our hearts could just, just shout praise to him, sing praise to him. Why? Why? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good. In what circumstances? Again, back to the context of this psalm. What circumstance is it that God is good in? In no circumstance, which means every circumstance. He's not good because of what he gives to you. He's good because of who he is. We went to Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, one of my favorite Psalms, and it says this Oh, taste and see that the Lord Yahweh is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Mark chapter 10, verse 18 says in 17, and as he was Setting out on his journey, Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, a very interesting beginning to an answer, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Paul makes the same argument in Romans that only God is good. We are not. But Jesus here says only God is good So the idea is you're calling me good because you understand intrinsically that I really am God. That's what he's saying. But only God is good. We come back to Psalm 100 and we give thanks to God because he is good. Good in a different way than any good we see around us. We see good in people. We see good in the culture. We see good in the things that go on only because as image bearers of God, we can reflect a little bit of that goodness to people. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says that God made us in his image. We are imago dei, in the image of God. And because of that, we can show just a little bit of the goodness of God to people. That's how we know what good is. Because it, it reflects off the character of God. So Psalm 100, for the Lord, Yahweh is good. When? all the time so we give thanks when all the time 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 to 18 says this rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances rejoice always give thanks in all circumstances why because psalm 100 verse 5 says that Yahweh is good his steadfast love endures forever. He is love. He, ex- he, 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 he just is love. It's not that love comes from him. Love is him. And not in the sense that anything you love is God. That's a whole different train of thought and totally wrong. But everything that is true love is from God. And God says that love never ceases. It never ends. It doesn't fail. It goes on and on and on. That's 1 Corinthians 13. His faithfulness goes to all generations. We give thanks to God, not because. We're joyful, not because. We praise, not because it's easy. Not because we like it. Not because we're gathered and it's fun. We're joyful, glad. We sing, we give thanks, we praise, we bless because of the character of God, who He is, what He's done, who He continues to be. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, says, "If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We'll fail. I'll fail. I'll fail today. I know I failed yesterday. I had to ask one of my kids to forgive me. That's a humbling moment. Not the first time either. I don't mean to fail, but I do. And when I'm faithless to him, he's still faithful to me because his spirit resides in us. His steadfast love endures forever. We bless his name because of who he is and what he's done. It's his character. This fall, we're going to spend all fall looking at the character of God. There's more parts to his character than we could even mention or name, but we're going to look at some of the aspects of God's character, his attributes, so that we could emulate them, copy them, be like them. His steadfast love being one of those, his faithfulness being one of those. We can show that. And then we can praise him regardless of our circumstances because it's his character we're praising. It's his character we're giving thanks for. It's his character that is the center of attention, not our circumstances. Because no matter how long they last on earth, they're temporary and he is eternal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, for giving us your son, for allowing us to know you, for allowing us to love you and follow you. Lord, we don't deserve it and we're so grateful that we have the chance. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your son. May we, Father, as a family, as a people, may we see our hearts consistently turned to you May we be joyful and glad and sing praises because of your character. We do love you. It's in Jesus Christ's holy and amazing name we pray. Amen.